0: Hello, my name is Xavier Mercado and this is Spearhead Conversations. Hello, my name is Xavier Mercado, and this is Spearhead Conversations. Today I am joined by Steve High Bicky. Steve High Bicky is a multi-platinum producer, engineer, and composer. Several hits. I can guarantee you'd know word by word. But I am blessed to have him here. So without further ado, how are you doing, Steve? <laughs> good. Good. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing good. I'm just trucking along. Trucking along. Ah <laughs> <Just trucking along. laughs> oh, man. Right. What you been up to? Um, not a whole lot, man. You know, I've been on my
1: uh content creator stuff much like you. You know, this video stuff is like a whole different world, so I'm like trying to figure out how to work all the software. Turns out I'm probably gonna have to get a new computer, even though my my trusty Mac here is great for doing music for whatever reason like yeah apparently it's really old when it comes to to video stuff so
0: yeah it's a
2: whole
1: whole different world i'm just trying to do like video tutorials and stuff and trying to learn this stuff as i go along that's basically what i've been doing this week here
0: tutorials you you gonna be out here schooling the game huh i tried downloading that software to my phone (laughs) and then you told me it was like no you need to do it on the computer and then my phone gave me a warning, like, yeah, this is a lot. This is a lot. You need a computer. See, now, I, I mean, I didn't even
1: realize the, the depth of how powerful that program is. But, you know, they're editing, like, full-scale, like, Marvel movies on that shit. And yeah. so I had downloaded it at that point, but I had never tried it on my computer. It won't run on my computer. Oh, wow. Not necessarily... Because my computer isn't strong enough but i guess like my operating system is too old if i if i upgrade my operating system then my music stuff won't work so
0: uh we'll get there you'll get there yeah. all right let's jump into it so steve where did you grow up um well
1: like up until the age of 14 i grew up in waterford wisconsin which is like a little bit southwest of Milwaukee and it's the country and I lived on like a horse farm basically um (laughs) really really in the country like I grew up in like basically a log cabin like as in like one of the log cabins that the pilgrims built
0: oh the lincoln yeah like four or five hundred years ago like i
1: grew up in that type of place
0: Oh, god. and
1: the crazy thing is this house i always hated this house i mean it was it, it should have been turned into a museum a long time ago like people shouldn't have been living there and i always felt like something bad was gonna happen there and it did it ended up burning down, and the wow. person that was inside of it got killed and trapped inside of it. Wow. Yeah, um, man. It's really sad. Man. It was like an old lady living there by herself, and she got stuck inside it while it was burning down. And-
0: it's crazy, man. You got codes. You better follow them codes. Man, it, I, I could only imagine. Like, I think about that, and now I'm thinking about, like, when I was young, kindergarten. You know, they have the Lincoln Logs and you'd be able to build homes and just build little things out of it. Um, You come Mm -hmm. a long way. Uh, So through that, what was your childhood like?
1: Um, Living in Waterford was like, I mean, the only thing that was like wrong was like, I mean, we were just like really poor, you know, like we're like really poor it's one thing to grow up in a, like be poor and grow up in a neighborhood where everybody's poor around you.
0: Yeah. Like at least you have somebody to,
1: you know, like sympathize with you. Like, Hey, we're all going through this together. But like I was by far the poorest person within like five miles, you know what I'm saying? So like in that respect, like it was difficult because you know, like we didn't have heat during the winter sometimes, I mean, you got to owe Wisconsin gas a lot of money for them to cut your gas off in the winter. You know what I'm saying? That
0: is crazy. I'm th- yeah. Isn't that, like, against the law? Yeah. I mean, I think, like,
1: maybe right around... Well, this is, you know, you got to think... This oh, this is, is way back. Ago. This is, Yeah, huh. this
0: is way back. So they got away with, with doing stuff like that. But I could only imagine because, you know, growing up in Wisconsin like you, you know, the winters are brutal, man. I mean one of my f- first interviews was with uh Brown's crew and uh Carito Paz uh that's one of the musicians he was talking about how uh, Milwaukee's gritty but the winters are as his uncle uh put it like machete's hitting your face so it's just just to give a picture to to people of how cold it gets here during the winter i say Wisconsin is still unmatched than than any other state out there you know yeah it's brutal for sure i mean like i remember
1: like i would have sleepovers when i was a kid and like i remember this one time i had a sleepover and like the electricity was working but the heat was off and so we're like in my my room playing video games on this tv that only had two colors <laughs>
2: So we're, we're, like,
1: we're like getting headaches and shit from watching this tv that only playing video games on this tv that only has two colors and the heat's not working so we're just in there like we can see our breath. we're wearing our jackets and shit like um that's the kind of stuff that i had to go through when i was a kid like wearing hand-me-downs from my dad when i was in sixth grade and shit like that so that stuff those are not good memories for me of course but i mean of course like waterford itself was like a, a nice place for kids to grow up like you know we had there was a bunch of kids in my neighborhood, the same age. We all lived kind of like far apart. Um, there was a, a petting zoo, like across the street from me and they yeah. gave me a job when I was a kid. So, you know, like I, I like, was a tour guide when I was like 14, like showing people like, hey, this is a monkey. Wow.
2: Yeah, this is a Capuchin monkey. There you and, go, And like,
1: this is a bear, you know, I'd be like feeding the animals and stuff like that. So, I mean, that stuff was good. But being being at a disadvantage for anybody when you're that age is like tough because you can't really do anything about it. So
0: yeah, I, I guess you know even with that you gotta you gotta find uh you know you have to find uh, a type of you know comfort in the situation. I mean if you can't change it you just gotta you know push along. So yeah, cause we I grew up in low income as well, you know. We, uh, we lived in Milwaukee on the south side, and I remember I remember how it was. It was a struggle coming up. Um, my parents did the best they could. My mom, especially. You, uh, you moved to Oak Creek. At what age did you move from Waterford? I
1: um, moved there when I was 15, and uh, you know, things were like much more stable in Oak Creek, that's for sure. But I was, like, such a wild kid when the time I, like, when I moved there, I was just an untrained dog, you know, like, I was always trying to, like, get fights, and I just had, like, a mouth. It took me a while to, like, get accustomed. I remember, like, like my freshman year, my freshman year, like, there was this big senior football player, like, I'm not going to say his name. I do remember his name, but. There was this big senior football player. who slapped the shit out of me in front of everybody in the weight room. Ah, uh. <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> I, like, and like, I just had to. Like, I think at that point, I was like, okay, I like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that he did. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. this is one of those things. I'm like mad at him about it. Like, it was like that was kind of the a reality. The, the ego check. Yeah, that was the ego check I needed at that time. So, like, in a way, I'm actually slick thankful to this yeah. guy for doing it, you know. I mean, he could have really fucked me up if he wanted to. Oh, for but sure. he just gave me a little slap like, hey, you're tripping, kid. You know what I'm saying? Like, for me, that was kind of like, just that, that whole experience was kind of like a turning point. <laughs> and like, I went from being like a loud, like disrespectful kid to like, I was really quiet for the rest of the high school. Like, I was just like, alright, I just got to keep my head low and no, I was focused on after high school,
2: basically. Yeah.
0: I remember a situation like that with me. Um, You know, the, this neighborhood uh, kid, I won't mention his name, but uh, he lived in the neighborhood I did. And, um, you know, I underestimated him. We're playing basketball. He kept following me, so I started talking smack to him. Um, he leaves the court. He gets so mad, he leaves the court. When he comes back, finally, after, like, just talking so much smack to him, he finally had it, and he comes at me and man, next thing you know it's a two a two piece in an orange soda, dude, like <laughs> he just like knocked me, little did I know that he he his dad trained him in boxing, so it was like you know that ego check, so Oak Creek, so how was the remainder of high school there?
1: I mean, I think the rest of my high school was. Is- Pretty average. I mean, I just kind of kept my head low, like I said. I think, I think coming up in that situation where I was just so poor, <laughs> like yeah. honestly, I did. I like for me, it was just it, it kind of shaped everything. Even though I wasn't like in that same situation anymore, like I didn't really get to enjoy high school like a lot of other kids. Like my 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 state of mind was already thinking like. I, I was already thinking like 10 years ahead and so like I remember like I'd be trying to have conversations with kids about like well what are you going to do in the future and blah 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 and you know we're like 15, 16 and they're like I don't fucking know what do you mean I don't
2: know yeah. like my parents got,
1: my parents got that planned out for me and I, was just, I just had to realize at that time like I can either complain about the fact that I came from a different situation and that my life isn't quite planned out like that or I am just hey, you know what? It, it is what it is. Maybe, maybe, maybe I won't be able to enjoy high school as much as other kids or whatever. And, you know, I just got to realize like, it's, it's just what it is. I can either complain about it or I can Do so. focus on what's going to matter eventually. You know what I'm saying? So that was more or less my, mer- my, my mentality. Like I didn't like dislike high school. It was just, that's just not what I was thinking about. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. High school kind of just came and went for me, really. When it came down to it, like it was just something I had to go through, I guess.
0: What's your um, earliest uh, memory of finding uh, a passion for 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 music?
1: Well, I mean, definitely like very early, like Michael Jackson first. I mean, like when I was like really young. But then it would have to be like Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and like yeah. all that '90s alternative music. And that was, like, when I was really, really young. My dad or my mom bought me, my parents bought me a guitar when I was really young and started learning how to play the guitar. And that was probably the start of it, basically, right there. Learned how to play all those Nirvana songs that, are, you know.
0: Oh, yeah. Everybody does. Teen Spirit. Oh, he knows that one. Yeah. Yeah, man. I remember um, my earliest memories of me, like, my love for music. Um, I used to watch the Fugees in the second grade like in front of my tv every every day before i go to school i try to catch um lauren hill and nas yeah i used to be in front of my tv waiting for that song that video to come on every day before school it's like yeah on mtv or the box the box (laughs) the box bro channel seven bro the tv i'd watch it on we had the little tuner on the side like so the little uh it is a little tuner you like twist and um that's how you would get your your channels but um always before it. in the second grade dude it's <laughs> it's funny to yeah. bring up the box <laughs> Hello, man. good I remember the box. good memories <laughs> good memories you, you already mentioned uh, Michael Jackson as being an influence, Nirvana and in them. When did you um, start getting into a phase where you started playing with your music as far as, like, producing and and just getting technical with it?
2: Well, really, I wanted to be in a band. Like, originally,
1: my goal, I wanted to be in a rock band. And, like, even back in high school, like, there was this guy, rest in peace, really, really good dude, Chris Perot. That we went to, that I went to school with he I always thought he was really talented, and I wanted to work with him, but um you know he kind of had his own thing going on already so when when joining a band didn 't really work, that's when i was there, there was other forays like you know other people that I tried to start doing the band thing with I, you know I was just going to play the guitar, you yeah. know maybe help write the songs and be like the the director, you know, basically the same thing I do now. And I just couldn't find anybody that had the same drive as me. So I was like, "Fuck it, I need to find something that I can do myself." You know what I'm saying? That's that when I started making beats. Then, you know, I was living like right after high school. We had this dude in our, our high school. He's still one of my best friends, named Kyle Gannett. He's, KG <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
1: everybody knew him as the, like the school rapper and i mean he was great at freestyling so you know we lived together for a while and i would make beats for him and we'd have these big ass house parties and he'd like freestyle and shit like that and i'm yeah. like okay you know like this is actually kind of working you know what i'm saying so maybe i should keep doing this so i just kept with it and, and we had Randy DJing and all that but eventually yeah. Kyle didn't really want to pursue it to the extent that I wanted to. So, you know, I started reaching out to outside people and actually the first song that I would say really made an impact was with another guy from my high school named Jason Turner. And he knew Sincere, which was one of the biggest artists in Milwaukee.
0: For sure. Yeah,
1: definitely. And, and he connected us on a song and that song got played on, like, some college radio station, which nobody cared. But for me, it was big enough to say, like, okay, this keeps working for me. Like, I need to just go ahead and risk it all yep. and see what happens. You know what I saying? Mean? So I went to Atlanta with, like,
0: $600 or something like that. And oh, wow. It just yeah. kind of really happened. Locally, um, other than Sincere, what were other um – local artists that you, um, you know, collaborated with in that time? I mean, for the most part, it just started out with, like,
1: me and Kyle and, like, just people, like, in our friend group. Like, we would make songs in, our, in my uh, cousin's basement, which is crazy because, like, this, this whole way of, like, how, how we would, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. We had to, like, just, like yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah, you did. You got to start.
1: <laughs> so like we're, we're, we're doing things our own way like we're kind of like making up shit as we go but it's weird cuz like at that time I would like record Kyle doing these freestyles cuz he was awesome at freestyling but he never wanted to sit down and like put a song together yeah so I would just record him like I sometimes I wouldn't even tell him that I was recording him. and I would I would just put the songs together myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, take his vocals and like, okay, I'm going to make this the hook, and then I'm going to take this and make a verse yeah. out of it, and blah, blah, blah. Now these days, yeah, that's how half of the hit songs are being made.
0: I remember the yeah. Fir- yeah. first time I met KG. Um, actually, I was at a party. Uh, he was living with uh, Josh Smith, I think, at the time. I'm pretty sure it was Josh Smith. But I, I got put in a room, and I, I freestyled a lot at that time. And I'm starting to freestyle, and he he was in the party. that I'd never met him before, and all of a sudden, they start yelling for him, oh, Kyle, KG, come inside here. They're freestyling. And he comes in the room, and, you know, we had a conversation about this, but he starts freestyling. the one thing I noticed is, like, he is probably the cleanest as far as, like, not – he could freestyle and not swear. And I thought that was really <clears throat> crazy because me, I'm dropping an F-bomb every other – every other rhyme but um yeah kg he went off crazy and then i challenged him one time and he really embarrassed me <laughs> man kg kg's gonna listen to these like huh oh, they're talking about me
1: yeah i mean i always thought kyle because part of the thing is like kyle always had this personality that like he he had an infectious personality so Yeah, for sure. i always thought that kyle could do something he just, uh, and he lived in Atlanta for a while. It's just that we weren't living there at the same time. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, yeah, yeah. He was great at freestyling. When we, when we had those parties, he never lost.
0: There was never one single time when nah. he lost a
1: freestyle
0: ball. Yeah.
1: It just wasn't happening.
0: When did you realize producing was it? So it was, it was in the basement with KG at your cousins, and was it there that you realized, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to produce... So, so now as far as like producing in a sense of or like making beats, like most of the yeah,
1: most but most of the hit songs that I was a part of, I wasn't the person there. There's there's two forms of the word producing,
2: okay? When you talk
1: about like big, the big, big names in music production these days, um, the Mike Will Made Its and Mustards and You know, like the uh, Doctor Luke's and all this type of stuff. Usually, they're not actually sitting there making beats all day. You know, like when you start off, maybe you're making beats, and then you give it. Sometimes you give it straight to the artist, and that works. Um, Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, But as far as like the top level of producer, they're usually not making the beats. Yeah, they they are singing the beats. From people that are close to them say for example like these days I got like a bunch of kids that I'm more or less taught how to make beats mm-hmm. and they can kind of imitate my style and put their twist on it they're going to send me what, what they make and I'm going to say okay, I can turn this into something or whatever you know what I'm saying so Yeah,
0: for sure.
1: 90% of the time I'm not the person actually making the beat anymore like And I really never even had that phase of my career where I was that person. Mm -hmm. It kinda went from where I was I I was I was making all the beats in Milwaukee, of course, for like YTC and Sincl, all that type of stuff. Then when I moved to Atlanta, there was a little bit of period of time where I was making the beats, but I never had a hit song like that. Nothing that even went trying to think if I had one that maybe Maybe regionally, like I had some songs that maybe popped out of Atlanta and did okay, like on that level where I made the beat all by myself and just gave it to the hardest. But the biggest songs came when I was part of Ear Drummers, and Mike Will was like the lead producer. And then we have in that group we have, um, you know, when it started there was five Ear Drummers. I was one of the Ear Drummers, mm-hmm. so. Mainly my job was more to be in the studio with the artist and like, I'd be like the person that's sitting behind the big board in the studio. And I'm like, do it again, do Do it again, again. do it again. Okay. That's good. I'm going to take this piece and put it with this piece. Okay. Now we need to do this part like this. All right. Sing it higher. Sing it lower. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Directing them. So
2: yeah, more or less.
1: And, but Mike, Mike was the lead in that situation and like, I mean, Mike was probably the biggest producer of the last ten years. You know what I'm saying? Oh, for sure. I was more, well, or less, seen. yeah. I was more or less just like his uh, helper, I guess you would say. You know, mm-hmm. whatever. I don't. I don't even know. Situation changed a lot, but yeah, yeah.
0: Back in you moved, you moved back in 2010 to Atlanta. Um, what caused that move?
2: Well, just more or less like.
0: I mean I was going to school for I mean I never thought
1: like the music thing would actually work so I was going to school for finance but then in 2008 like the stock market crashed and all that shit and like my career options and finance just weren't there you know like it just wasn't going to happen I mean there's too much competition I wasn't doing good enough in school to where I wasn't going to be able to beat these kids that went to Yale and these 45 year olds who were out of work and competing, we're all competing for the same jobs and shit, yeah. you know, it just wasn't going to happen. So I was just like, fuck it. Like I really don't have, I didn't, I didn't have anything to lose. So I just went and, and tried it and, um, you know, got an intern. The first thing was working at Tyler Perry's. I was Harris just
0: studio. about to bring that up. You worked on set Ooh. as an extra, um, um, how was that experience and through that experience, what opportunities came from that experience?
1: Well, I wouldn't say any opportunities materialized from that experience, but they had offered me, they had offered me opportunities, but you know, I mean, the experience on set was, was cool. You know, it was nice people there, uh, it's a lot more boring than you would think. Yeah. Working on a, on a set, half of it is like, <laughs> half of what makes doing acting or TV or anything like that is the long days of trying to keep yourself
0: yeah, ready. Yeah,
1: ready and motivated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it, pretty much you're there for like 12 hours a day just in case they need you. Wow. And more than likely you're only... Yeah, and more than likely, you're only going to be on screen for, I mean, actually be on set for maybe a half an hour. And this is even with the people who are starring on the show. You know, they might be there for twelve hours a day and actually only be on set for two, three hours of them. You know, so yeah, that's basically what it was: just waiting, eating, eating a lot. They gave you free food. You know, when they call you, you just got to do your best to, to. do what they're asking you to do. sometimes they give you conflicting information. You know, they got like two or three directors on set and one director's like, okay, go do this, go walk over there and then sit at the bar, and talk to this person, blah, blah, blah. And then another director comes right as you're about to walk on stage. You're like, go out there and take a, you know, do something completely different. And then they're like, action. And you're like, uh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah. What the
1: fuck? So, like, I, I had a couple, like, experiences like that. Like, I remember one episode, like, you know who Bill Bellamy is? The yeah, TV. man. Hell
0: yeah, dude. That's 90s right there. <laughs> so, so, I had,
1: like, a conflicting experience like that where the directors told me to do two, two completely separate things. And I listened to the to the second director, the one that told me what to do right before I went on stage. I listened to him. even though I knew I probably shouldn't have, but I was like, oh, maybe he learned something that I didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I listened to him and basically he had me go, the, the, the point on the stage where he, he told me to go was right in front of Bill Bellamy. Like, it's like in front of him and like, to where the camera couldn't see him. So I'm like, I'm like, doing this scene and I'm like like Bill Bellamy is like right, like if the camera's like this, yeah. I go and sit down and I'm like right in front of Bill Bellamy and the character that's supposed to be like the main thing or whatever and I'm like, fuck this feels wrong, but okay, this is what he told me to do, you know and then I see off camera the other director is like um,
2: get get over here get (laughs) over over here here.
1: (laughs) Like fuck, man. You know what I'm saying? But like, it's just shit like that. You just got to roll with. You know, it's like, what can I do? What am I supposed to do? Rat on the guy? Like, no, it wasn't me. He told me to do it. <laughs> He's like, ah.
0: you know? shit like that. But yeah, overall, you enjoyed it, though. I mean, it, it was like, but boring at I, the same time. I would time. say so. Like,
1: I had a
2: good,
0: I had a good um, relationship
1: with the director. He always like director was super cool to me. Like he would let me like come into his office and stuff like that. Like he didn't even let like the stars
2: of the show go in there. Yeah, like, don't know, me. Like, but
1: um, yeah, eventually they offered me like a, like more of like a, a featured role where I would have been like talking or whatever, but it was right at the point where like I had started doing sessions for Atlantic records and it was basically I could go and start with the acting thing or I could stay where I was and and down the music path and you know, I chose music. But who knows what would've, what would have happened if I would have went down the, yeah. the other path you know? oh, yeah. and maybe I would have been on
0: movies or something. I don't know. You're self-taught. You basically taught yourself how to um, make the music or the beats that you you've made. Who were some mentors of yours after leaving, leaving, uh, meet the Browns? Um,
2: the biggest,
1: one of the people that had like the biggest influence on me would probably have been two people. I'm going to say two people, even though we weren't like in the studio, like on the regular, there's two people that I would say pushed me in the right direction a lot. And that was Seth Perkins. Um, another person who unfortunately passed away. Sorry to hear that. Um, he was the person who got me my first internship like at a big studio, and he was futures engineer, and he had a bunch of hits too
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, he was like a big influence on me, um, not necessarily like teaching me what to do, but just as far as like navigating the business and um, KY engineering was at that time little Wayne 's engineer and then he went on to work with like two chains, Waka Flacca, and now he's basically an A and R. He's the one who found Jack Harlow.
0: Oh wow. So, holy.
1: Yeah, so KY is popping out for sure. He's 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 a big dog now. But um, yeah, he was always pushing me in the right direction too. And uh, as far as like the actual learning process. Yeah. There was, there was a guy named Scott that used to work at Hot Beats and uh, he was Nicki Minaj's engineer, like, early on in the game. Mm-hmm. And he taught me a lot of stuff about
0: act- the actual
1: technical stuff.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately,
1: technically speaking, he was an incredible engineer, but he wasn't good at navigating the business.
2: Okay. So he ended up
1: not going very far, unfortunately. That's the thing. I mean, like, talent doesn't necessarily equal success in the music business at all. You know, it's really more about work ethic and, and um, your ability to navigate the politics and all that other stuff that probably matters much more than actual talent, <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I would have to say. You were given the name The Sauce. How did you uh, acquire that nickname? Well, it was
1: probably like, in, um, like right around 2012, Okay, so, so let me explain this. Uh, so you can get a halfway decent steak, right? Mm-hmm. And if you got a good enough sauce, it'll turn it into a great steak,
0: right? Okay. <laughs> I love the extent. analogy. <laughs> I love the analogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, like a, a,
1: a taco that's like, okay, but if you got the right sauce for it,
0: that shit might be the bomb. You
1: know what I'm saying? Yeah, now, if you got a great steak okay. and you have a great sauce at the same time... Yeah. Ah, holy shit. Bam. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> so, but, you know, basically during at the beginning of that of my music career, I was working with steaks that weren't so great. <laughs> <laughs> um, songs that were just average. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, like, I was able to do things to... Um, You know, that that would make them like entertaining, you know, like and they'd be like, Man, you put the sauce on that motherfucker, like you got the sauce, bro.
0: Yeah.
1: I could bring you some I could bring you a goddamn hamburger (laughs) and you'll turn it into a steak. Like (laughs) what the hell? Slap
0: that shit on it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, basically. So but I mean once I started getting steaks that were actually decent, you know, once these record labels started giving me good steaks, like there we go i just
0: need a, i just need a decent steak i'm gonna make it a home you know i got I'm you yeah. one. um you interned you interned at hot beats so you um, you worked with mike will mike will made it no nah? well because like you addressed well, earlier because i get it it's like he's the head guy and then he has a team of engineers is that how you explained it earlier I was basically the only person, I I mean,
1: technically speaking, I'm officially a songwriter, like as far as like my contract goes, but I mean, I was the engineer, producer, but then we had other producers. I was pretty much the only person who was really engineering. There was other beat makers, gear, drummers though people that like all they do all day is make beats because I'm not really that great at making beats to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm I'm really good at making a song, but I'm not great at making beats. At the time of hot beats, like when I was interning at hot beats, Mike Will was nobody. I met him one day. He came into the studio and at first I didn't like him because like he comes over to the board and he like turns the volume up on his beat. He's He's trying to play beats for, for a client of mine. Yeah, he wants the client to get on his beats, and uh, he comes over to the board and just cranks it. And I hear the speakers are like, <clears throat>
2: <laughs> I'm like "Bro, what are
1: you doing?" He's like, "Don't don't turn on the beat, man." And he turns it back up. I'm like, sh- you gonna pay for these speakers if they blow?" <laughs> He's like, no. So no, no. Like, like at first I didn't really like them, you know what I'm saying? But then I was listening to the beats, and I'm like, "There's something there. Like this guy's got something. He just hasn't." figured it out all the way yet like his beats like had a very particular rhythm and sound they just weren't polished yet like sonically yeah. they didn't sound good like they sounded not good and um, I was like okay this guy's onto something and I, I was talking to him like so you know you do any pop stuff and he's like no, nah, I can't do the pop stuff man and Like this trash is easy to me I'm like man, trap shit's so hard for me, but, like, pop stuff is easy. And, uh, like, right there, like, I'm like, oh, okay, I think even though we have conflicting personalities, like, maybe... Something, something. Maybe we should should do something, you know what I'm saying? So, he would come and, like, try to, like, sneak into the studio more or less, and I would let him come in, because I'd be like, you know, I, I see something with this guy, like, he's rough around the edges, but okay, let me, let me sneak him in here, let him try to sell some beats, make some money, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Sure enough, give it about a year, and he gets his little team together where they, like, really polish the sound, and he starts, I mean, hitting them over the head, like, just with those early hits in Atlanta. Like,
0: yeah. Are you talking, like, the early days of, like, um, Miley Cyrus jumped on one? See, that's probably like 2013. Okay, I'm talking about I'm talking about 2010. Like, oh wow,
1: way way wow. before any, way way before anything like Mike pulling up to the studio and a broke down Bonneville type of thing. Okay, you know guys. what I'm saying? But you know, he started getting his little team together, and you know, I'm hearing some of the stuff he's doing. Like he was producing for Two Chainz before he was Two Chainz. Yeah, like back when he was still a Teeny Boy. And he had done this song called La La. And I was like, oh shit, like that's the sound that I'm hearing in my head that I'm thinking he's capable of. He's yeah. doing it now. So I'm like, I need to talk to Mike Will again, you know what I'm saying? And sure enough, like uh, one day he I was I was working at a different studio by this time, right next door to Hot Beats. He ended up in the studio somehow. And I was like telling like the owner of of that studio, like Hey, that mike will kid like he's he's got it i'm telling yeah. you like you might not be able to hear it right now but that kid he's got it for sure yeah and you know so it just kind of more or less morphed into like i was like look i think we should bring him in here you know give him some some free studio time let him do what he wants to do and um i'll engineer for him you know what i'm saying like i'll i'll Take, I will put my time into it if you let me do this. And uh,
0: you became the lead enge- en- engineer for him, right? Yeah. By that time, you know, I had
1: finished my internship and I was basically the lead engineer of the studio next door. Okay. Which was called Toyota. But yeah, I was done with my internship, you know, yeah. And then by this point, I'm like, yeah, knowing what I'm doing to an extent. For sure. And so one day he comes in basically the first time that we really really worked together he came in and he was writing songs for ludicrous ludicrous was looking for stuff for his ludiversal album this is probably mid-2012 he brought in a writer and we were working on some songs and we did some stuff nothing too extraordinary but he was playing these beats for me like he had this like pop beat and it was like nothing I ever heard. Like it was like a common, now today it would be a common sound, but back then it was like unheard of. It was like trap drums and mm-hmm. pop melodies and, and four on the floors and, and trance synths and just crazy shit. I'm like, Mike, look, let me get this beat. I, I have somebody that can make a hit to this. Like I promise you, like I know it for sure. Like, let me use this beat just yeah. for a day. So he gives me the beat, and he was like not wanting to do it. He was like, yeah. I don't know, bro. Like I don't even know you like that, bro. I'm like, yes, you fucking do. Whatever. Okay, fine. But he gave me the beat eventually. <laughs> he gave <you> the beat. <laughs> so the next day, I come into the studio, and I get this girl Asia Bryant, who I've been working with on the side. Asia, now she's the voice for a character on Netflix. Fuck, I forgot. The but she, she wrote like the Compton soundtrack, she did some things I had her come in and I give her the beat and we write a song to it or she writes a song, you know, I record her and just make it sound good, whatever and uh, I send it to Mike and he's like alright, well, change this change this, change this you know what I'm saying and Asia's like, fuck that I ain't changing nothing <laughs> Asia, listen, please, like, look, don't do it for him. You know what I'm saying? Do it for me. Look, I'll write it just singing, please. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm doing this for nothing. You know what I'm saying? Like, if this works, it's not really gonna help me in any way. You know what I'm saying? Just do it for me, please. So she does it. I write like a new hook for it, and or part of a hook. I I rewrite the lines that Mike wanted to be written. She re-sings it. We send it to Mike, and he's like, yep, that's it. He's like, um, pull up to the studio. He's talking about Ludacris' studio. And I'm thinking like, oh, okay, well, you know, I've been in this situation. They call it a Ludacris session, but he's actually nowhere to be found. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, but, you know, I go over there, and all of a sudden, Ludacris walks in. And I'm like, oh, okay. This is where we at with it. Okay. You know, so, like, they're playing on some songs and he's vibing because, I mean, they got new shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, they got shit that people haven't heard before. Then they play the song that, that me and Asia just wrote. And he fucking sits down. And he's sitting there like this. And I'm like, oh, fuck. He don't like this shit at all. Like, he went from, from this to this. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit. Then they stop the song and he's like, he's like, that's a motherfucking smash, man. Like, I hear Rihanna on that motherfucker. Like, that's, that shit's crazy. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, here we go. You know what I'm saying? So that was... And then I went and got
0: this tattoo right here. I don't know <laughs> if you can see it. I, yeah, it's a little blur, but... It's like a pen. Okay, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Writing. I see it. I see it. Yeah. That was the seal once Luda said that, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was like,
1: oh, I'm, I'm, I made it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i went and got this tattoo and everything but yeah that was basically like the first time that me and mike like really worked together was was that that song eventually Ludacris did end up doing his part on it he rapped on it but rihanna never did her part but two years later we played it for miley and it made it on her album it's called hands in the air
0: hands in the air by Miley.
1: By Miley Cyrus and Ludacris. But I mean, yeah, it took about
2: two, like two and a half years for that song to, to come out, you know?
0: Oh, wow. So, through that, you know, now going forward, what artists have you worked with?
1: Man, it'd probably be easier to say which ones I haven't worked with, honestly. I haven't worked with Ariana Grande, I haven't worked with Dua Lipa, I've worked with Dua Lipa. I haven't worked with a lot of the new rappers. I haven't worked with Little Baby. I haven't worked with Money Bag Yo. But I mean, like Yo Gotti, obviously. I got Yo Gotti's biggest hit song. I'm pretty sure it's his biggest hit song, "Rake It Up."
0: Rake It Up. Uh, yeah. How many hits you have on? I I just want you to kind of in your element right now and throw out a couple hits for everyone, just so they have a a kind of understanding, like of the impact you've you had on the music scene? Well, the biggest
1: ones are gonna be probably the race rumored songs is gonna be like Black Beatles. Black Beatles is, I think, probably one of the top 20 biggest songs of the last decade.
0: I did one of the, me and my family, we did a, a rendition of the Freeze. <laughs> and then you go around with yeah. the camera for the Black Beatles yeah. song. But no, no, keep
1: on, keep Uh, on. So Black Beatles, Break It Up was definitely up there, too. I got the biggest hit song to come out of Wisconsin in a very long time, and that would be Fall with Eminem. But the guy singing the hook, his name is Bon Iver, and he's from Wisconsin. Okay. So I think that would constitute the biggest hit song to come out of Wisconsin. Maybe ever.
0: How was that experience? Where like to to produce something on Eminem's uh, Kamikaze album? Man, you know it's crazy because that was like one of the biggest
1: things in my career, but like one of the things that I worked probably the least <laughs> hardest. For, <like. laughs> but you still oh, yeah, get to like say
0: you still get to say you were a part of that song, dude. Like, yeah, no, I mean I I did my part. I'm not yeah. saying that.
1: It's just that like it was. I mean, I guess I had already done so much work up until that point. It was the work up until that point that got me into the room. But I mean, it was basically like they called me and they're like, can you go to Detroit tomorrow? <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, work with Eminem. And I'm like, for how long? They're like, wait, just go up there for a day or two if you want. I'm like, where's the catch? You know what I'm saying? Like, but yeah. that was it. I just had to go up there. I flew up to um, Detroit. Eminem um, M&M had a, a SUV come pick us up and went to his studio, which was I don't even know where, almost in Canada. I know we crossed into Canada at one point on the way to Eminem's studio. Like my phone said, "Like welcome to Canada." I'm like,
2: "Canada, oh. where the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: but yeah, they took us out to Eminem's studio, and you know, it's crazy. Like I went in there and their first thing they do, you know, like they're going to play me the songs. I can't remember if Eminem was actually in the room at this point. I don't think he was. So they play me greatest and greatest is a pretty dope song, mm-hmm. um, but it was kind of something, mm, kind of something we've heard before, but then they played me fall the one with Bon Iver and I couldn't even talk. Like, I was just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. I couldn't even believe what I just heard. Like, I was just like, I've never heard anything like that before. Like, it was so new for Eminem to be like flowing the way he was. And like, that was like the beginning of like that calm voice. He started using that calm voice in fall. And that's how you hear Eminem now. Like, yeah. And all of his songs moving forward. But like, I was just like, and so they stop the song and they're like, "What do you think?" And I'm like, "I can't think. Like, I can't. Yeah. I can't even process what I just heard because it's just. I mean, I grew up listening to Eminem and having heard him a certain way for so many years, and then to walk in there and hear this beat that I mean, I've heard the beat before. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, I was there when they when they put together the. I wasn't there when they recorded Bon Iver's part, but obviously I was in the room helping Mike put it together after the fact.
2: Yeah, it was just like, whoa, what the hell?
1: Like, I was just like, like oh, can
2: you you play it again?
1: Like, that's all I could say was just like, can you play it again? Like
0: I could only imagine. You're just in a studio, Eminem. They play a track, and it's really his voice coming through because, man, I remember growing up to his, going up Parkway, to the pool, Grub Schmidt, um, out in South Milwaukee and his song, I am whatever you say I am. You know, like, It's crazy. That's crazy, you got, man.
1: Cause you gotta, you gotta think like my state of mind on the way to the studio. For sure. I'm like, oh man, like this shit could be trash. You know what I'm saying? And it it, it kind of would have hurt my heart, like if it, was, if it sucked. Cause Eminem, at that point, people were counting him out. People thought Eminem was done. Before that kamikaze album. Never. So (laughs) I I was genuinely concerned. You know, I was like, oh man, this might be terrible. And then when they played it, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Like (laughs) it's heaven.
0: It's heaven. It's (laughs) (laughs) heaven. Yeah, like this is this is actually
1: happening. Like, I mean, I was so happy to hear that he had figured out a new way of doing it. And he like adapted instead of just like disappearing into obscurity but um yeah so they played me a song and then and they're like well you you think you can do anything to it more or less and i'm like i got some ideas yeah let me let me give me let me get on that board over there you know what i'm saying so um i mean the song was pretty much done at that point they just wanted me to put the steroids put the sauce on it you know what i'm saying put the sauce on the uh,
0: steak (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: just and th- this was another one of those moments
1: too kind of like the ludicrous thing Like, because somewhere in the middle of me working on the song I didn't realize Eminem had walked in and I think that that's I think that's when he actually got to the studio I don't remember seeing him before that but anyway so I'm mixing the song and all of a sudden I turn around and there's Eminem and I'm like oh shit okay I guess I'll just keep working you know like say hi and keep working <laughs> like, <laughs> I do what I do, you know what I'm saying? And then I, like, run it from the top, and I stop it, and he's, like, sitting there behind me, and he's, like, yo, what the fuck did you do to my vocals, man? I'm, like, oh, no. <laughs> he's, like, they fucking sound incredible, man. Yeah. This just sounds amazing, man. What did you do?
0: <laughs> oh biggest scare of your life to the biggest highlight of your fucking career. Yeah. Uh, um, Would you consider that, like, top, top, or um, one of those top moments? I mean, it would have to be top five for sure. Mm -hmm. I
1: mean, yeah, it's probably, I I think the only thing that compares to that would probably be working with No Doubt, like, as far as, like, Gwen Stefani, not just Gwen Stefani, yeah. Literally no doubt. The whole band. Like,
0: really? No doubt? Yeah. Oh, um, man. The, yeah, that's that's I me me and uh my cousin uh Chris. Um my cousin Chris and Eric uh even Mario growing up that album. Oh, what was it? Orange. Um that album Orange, orange County. Yeah, it, it, I think it, so. Yeah, that one, that was beautiful. I loved, I loved every song on that album. Um, yeah, same for me. Like I grew up listening to that shit. Like, and w- when we were working with them, you got to think like everybody
1: else in ear drummers, they're kind of like from the hood, so they didn't even really know too much about No Doubt. You know yeah, what I'm
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: I'm just sitting there freaking the fuck out, like, like Rodas really like went to so funny. And yeah. the whole band is here. Like this shit is crazy, and like they're listening to us. You know what I'm
2: saying? Like hell
1: where yeah. I'm sitting there like, like okay. I remember talking to the bass player, and he's like, "How's this sound?" And I'm like, "Hey, you know what? You should try it. Like you should try finger picking it. You know what I'm saying? Like you know, just like as opposed to using a regular pick. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, try finger picking it. You know what I'm saying? And he listened to me and it worked and I'm like holy shit man like this is really happening like I'm really in here with these motherfuckers like and they actually carry what I have to say like this is insane you know what I'm saying unfortunately the two songs that we did with them didn't we were in the studio with them for like a week yeah. and we did two songs with them and one of the songs is amazing I'm talking about this song
2: mm.
1: is a worldwide smash for whatever reason that song has not seen the light of day. I still listen to it all the time myself, but it's not finished when Stefani didn't end up doing her second verse on that song. I guess she's busy with
0: the voice. Or yeah. Yeah. Now. The voice. Yeah. She's on there now. But this was back in 2013, I think when we did that, but with, okay. with no doubt.
1: But yeah, for whatever reason, that song didn't come out and it always kind of made me sad. Cause like, that was like a big deal to me. Like, Mhm. I didn't even charge them. I was so excited about that shit that I didn't even send a bill for like, you know, my services or whatever. Like I was like, it was oh, just like oh, an I honor.
0: Should. It was like an honor. It was like, yeah, just appreciating that moment. I could only imagine you being, being in the studio, man, that that's childhood right there. That's growing up, bro. Um, mm. and you, you know what sucks
1: too? I had videos and like pictures of all this stuff. Like, uh, I didn't want to put it out at the time like be like bragging about the shit at the time because i felt like for one it was kind of distasteful and for two like we have you know a lot of times we have to sign ndas or whatever you know what i'm saying so i had all these cool videos and pictures like and the phone that i had all that shit on it was a windows phone and I lent it to one of my friends. She needed a phone to use and she wiped the
0: fucking (laughs) bro. bro, She's cut off. I'm sorry. (laughs) She's cut off. dude. Oh, I was so fucking mad. I I, I was so fucking mad. I think I'd cry, bro. I think I would cry, right? Hey, if you cried, it's cool. (laughs) Oh, i'm
1: sure i did yeah but i mean windows phone at that time i don't think it was backing up to a cloud or anything like that so it was just gone
0: you know Damn. oh man uh, moving on into the future you're multi-platinum so what tracks did that put you into that that level got you to that level
1: oh uh, i mean shit we Got we got that we got multi-platinum with But the first song, you know, the first song that I really had any official credit on was Racks on Racks with Future NYC. And I think that went more than platinum. But um, then, yeah, that combined with like the T.I. album. So I pretty much hit that mark as an engineer by like 2011, within like a year of moving to Atlanta not trying to brag or anything but my multi-platinum is we're talking about i might have sold somewhere close to like if you put together everything i've worked on mm-hmm. like had a little bit of a peak in might be close to like 50 million yeah we're talking multi multi multi, multi multi-platinum if some of these songs went six seven times platinum like black Beatles, black Beatles is probably coming close to eight times platinum um, no type is probably 5 or 6 um, break it up it has to be at least 3 so just with those songs right there just 3 songs were coming close to 15 you know what I'm saying wow. then, you gotta, then you throw in all the Miley stuff some of those songs went 5 or 6 times platinum um, the album went 5 times platinum and I did half the songs on there you know, some some of my involvement on those songs was really small, so I don't even normally count some yeah. of that shit. Like, Like Formation, Beyoncé's Formation, like technically I had a part in that song.
2: Yeah. Like I recorded
1: the reference track, the reference track, but I normally wouldn't say that like I had a part in that song because you know, recording a reference track, yeah, I did have part of it, but Eh. And I, you know, what I was saying like, it, I wasn't there with Beyonce in the room. I was supposed to be, I had to have back surgery that day. I was supposed to be in there with Beyonce, like putting the song together or whatever, but I couldn't make it. And um, so, yeah, I don't really say like I, I had a part in that one.
2: Okay. But,
1: you know, as far as songs that I'm officially credited on, yeah, I'm guessing it's probably close to 50 million. I don't really know for sure. 40, 50 times platinum, something like that. Keep in mind that a lot of this stuff is just engineering credits. Oh yeah, so it's I like, get it.
0: I get it. No, but, but it's, still, it's not like I made like
1: a shit ton of money off of this stuff. You know what I'm saying? But
0: but you still had your hand in in that. The, the, I just I can't say you, you, you minimize your role because at the end of the day, you had your hand in those those tracks, and for mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? Those, those were trend-setting music, that the music you were just naming, you know, Racks on Racks, um, you know? Like, those were trend-setting music. So, like, for that, that's success, bro. But, like, it, the number you're telling me, 50 million, I'm like, bruh, bruh, uh-huh. you're from Wisconsin. You came out of Wisconsin. You, you, earlier in the interview, mentioning how you grew up, poor. And now look at you. You're on top of the world. You know, it did something, it did a lot for the culture. The culture of the industry at, at those moment in time. And like, just the names that you've worked with, it's like, that's inspiring. No doubt, Eminem, um, uh, T.I., you even mentioned in there, Ludacris. These are these are me growing up, you know. I asked um I was doing a, a interview. Um, at Barbellas, it's a it's a, a barber shop. One of the barbers, his name is Chivo, and I asked him. I, somehow, Christina Aguilera got brought up, and I said, "Do you know who Christina Aguilera is?" And he told me, "No." Do you know how old <laughs> that? Do you know how old that makes me feel? But then to hear you working with the people like us growing up, it's like it's crazy. It's crazy to me. It's like especially you no know, doubt that right there is a what's your creative process when you're 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 doing your thing when you're 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 engineering composing producing
1: well being
2: well my creative process
1: now is probably a lot different than what it was before I mean while well, I was in the of making the vast majority of these hit songs that I did were maybe between 2014 and 2018 and even like some of those songs are still coming out. So like, but I mean, my creative process at that point was get my ass to the studio every fucking chance I can get. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't feel creative a good majority of the time. You know what I'm saying? And I, I think
0: that that was the reason
1: why it worked.
0: It's not a job <clears throat> if you love it, man. It's not a job if you love it. I did, I did love it to an extent, but I, you know, like. Mm-hmm.
1: I was exhausted during this period of time. And I think like people expect that when they go to make something creative, Mm -hmm. uh, something, a great song will make you feel amazing. Right. How does it make sense that you expect to feel amazing while you're making that song? No, like you more than likely, if you're making something amazing, you won't realize it until after you did it. You probably didn't feel good while you were making it.
2: You're feeling human
1: human emotions, normal oh, yeah.
0: human emotions,
1: mm-hmm. going through shit. That's what makes the song authentic. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So, I mean, I, I remember like when I was working on Brett, um, Black Beatles, like that's the biggest song, and and I was so stressed when I was working on that song, and like the The final part of that song, uh, Randy actually had to finish it. My, my yeah. former Randy. Uh, I was at my grandma's funeral. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I'm trying to like do. You know, we probably did like yeah thirty some different versions to that song, and you know, I was just like, fuck. Like, I was like, man, I'm trying to like balance doing this song with like being around my family. I didn't want to look like I was arrogant. You know what I'm saying? Because I keep dipping off to work on this song. Like it's like fuck. It's my it's my grandma's not funeral, but my grandma's memorial. Yeah. You know, we yeah. went to like a baseball mm-hmm. game and stuff. And um you know, I'm trying to like balance these two things and and I just fucking lost it, honestly. And uh, I ended up um, sending sending the files to Randy and he finished that song, but I mean, yeah, I think, like, pretty much every, almost every hit song, there was, like, a point where I felt like giving up, I think. I, mean, I, I remember being pretty stressed out when I was making uh, Rake It Up Too, You know, I was in the, stu- I was in the studio Yo Gotti for, like, a week straight, and I was trying to, like, balance, like... Um, being in the studio with, with him and like Mike wasn't there you know what I'm saying so I'm like Mike's in LA and he's like telling me like yo I want it to be like this and this and this and this but then I'm walking in the studio with Yo Gotti and he's more or less telling me the complete opposite so I'm just like and then you got Nicki Minaj she's in like France or some shit like that and she's like well I want my verse like this don't touch my verse don't do anything to my verse so it's like alright How am I gonna put all three of these visions and my sauce on this song and make it come out and feel natural? Yeah, like sure. So, shit like that. Like, but yeah, I'm just saying that because you know the the podcast is about Milwaukee. Oh, for sure. And I have worked with so many talented people from Milwaukee, but for whatever reason. It's crazy. They're willing to get up and go to a job that they actually hate as far as like working in a factory or something like that. But given the opportunity to do a job that they say they love, as far as music goes, I've, I've given opportunities to a bunch of people from Milwaukee and they just don't
0: show up. It's really yeah, sad. man. It, it literally breaks my heart, you know? Yeah, it's, it's you know, I mean, the, the main reason why I'm doing this is just to show like the levels you can reach through you. You know what I mean? Look where you started. Look where you're at right now. You, you've traveled the world. You've made some of the best trend-setting music out in the industry. You've worked with some of the greatest uh, artists, musicians of our time. And, you know, I think the saddest thing is, though, you know, when you're given an opportunity and you don't show up. Uh-huh. And as you're saying that, you know, you've you've given so many people so many opportunities, um, you just want that to change. So like with the generation coming up right now, I guess I just want to influence them into seizing the moment. And And that's uh-huh. really why I'm doing this. Like this younger generation come up. You want to see direction. Look, I'm this small town, small town boy. I had a vision about you know just talking to the to to names out of where the same areas of where i grew up you know and and just feel inspired by by these people you know through uh, talking to you talking to kyle olson talking to um you know roel sanchez a, a realtor out of the south side of milwaukee with that being said um you know you just gotta you gotta you just gotta really pray that you know whoever is watching or whoever's listening to this just don't don't miss an opportunity to make something that can impact not only your life but so many more A lot of people like people just get in their own heads about
1: shit like they start thinking like you know for example, the music business, they got like this idea of like being a professional famous artist they got this idea upon like a pedestal yeah and I mean it's still just a job you know what I'm saying like at the end of the day it's about executing no matter how you feel yeah. sit your ass down and go to the studio write the song fucking edit your music video whatever like upload the shit whatever like it's literally that like that's it yeah. that's the difference between the person who makes it and the person who doesn't it really doesn't have nothing to do with talent. I mean, like, like you know, I put this I post like about that. the country
2: song.
0: Yeah,
1: the country song, yeah. Uh, so, 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 look, the, the person who originally did that song is from Wisconsin. Vocally, he is very talented. I actually didn't meet him in Wisconsin. He was in Nashville. and It just so happened to be that he's from Wisconsin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, we linked up in Atlanta. I, like, paid for him to come down to Atlanta and, and uh, pay for the studio time. I got, you know, me and a couple of the, couple of the homies to, to... we sat down and produced the song for him. you know what I'm saying? Like, and uh, recorded it, arranged it, blah, 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 all that shit. And all he had to do was, like,
2: he just had to, like,
1: fix some of the vocals on the hook and, um... And, uh, you know, then we had to make a cover art and put the shit out. Yeah. And for whatever reason, he just, I, I'd like set up studio times for him and he'd be like, oh man, my bad. I got too drunk last night. And like, <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? You got too drunk last night. You didn't go to the studio. Uh, like, I wanted to.
0: I would want to So I would want to talk. Hey, man. Uh. And decided I'd give him...
1: Well, I'm not even going to get too much into him, but well, when, I, when I put this thing on Facebook talking about the country song, I got a lot of people pointing me in the direction of people that can sing really well, mm-hmm. which is great,
2: of course. Um, but the person I ended up giving it to is
1: someone that he has a decent voice, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't put it at amazing, and yeah. I wouldn't put it at bad, but a, a good enough voice that he can make it work. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. I like to give this example of like, R. Kelly. R. Kelly's voice is not exceptional. But he is exceptionally using his voice or was. And that's the reason why he sold millions of records. Yeah. Um, or even like, let's put it in a modern day reference of like, let's see who's somebody who just has like an average ass voice, but is selling boot Drake. I mean, Drake has like an average ass voice. You know what I'm saying? He is fucking killing it. And so, you know, the person that I found to eventually do the song is somebody that has like a, a pretty good voice. It's not incredible. But I see that he's got the work ethic, for sure. Like, he has put music out himself. He knows how to record in the studio. Mm -hmm. He's invested the money in getting his own equipment. And in general, that's more or less what I'm looking for. Having been down this road of working with people who are exceptionally talented, but just don't fucking show up and execute. You know what I'm saying? Like... And, yeah, it's just what it is. I mean, like, the time can be developed, you know?
0: You know, all you got to hope that change comes and people start aspiring to be more. Because I'll tell you like this, man. um, I'm at a stage with the the, the podcast in that this started off as an idea. And for the first time in my life, I invested in myself and um, to see since the beginning what it's become. It's it's grown. And now it's finally at a moment of, yes, I really feel it. I'm feeling myself. With the music you've made and the music you're you're making, what type of legacy are you trying to leave behind? I don't know. I mean, to me personally, I don't really
1: think of the music stuff as being, or like what I've done so far as being very big. Like, I guess, you know, to me, it's like, I honestly don't feel like I did what I was really supposed to do, and I think I was like distracted during a lot of the last decade. So, to me, I just feel like as far as what I did over the last ten years is like I still got a I still got a medal, but it's like a bronze. I don't feel like I got the gold. I don't feel like I got the silver. I feel like I got the bronze at best. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so to me.
2: Yeah, you know
1: I, I, it is what it is like I'm proud of what I did but like I don't really you know think about it in, in that sense too much you know well you're still active as a producer right kind of I mean it's, it's hard for me to be like really active from Mexico like I can make beats and send it to people and stuff like that but like There's like a billion people that can make a good beat. But as far as like putting together a song and like really doing what it takes to make a hit in general, unless you're working with somebody who's just like exceptional, you kind of got to be hands on with it. For me to do that right now is like almost impossible. So I would say as of right now, I don't see myself making any more hit records anytime soon, I don't know if I ever will again, but I'm still active, you know what I'm saying, like I'm, I'm, I'm mixing songs for like local artists and trying to, trying to um, make it an affordable way for like people too. to have like the high quality mixing and mastering and co-production and stuff like that like without having like a, a major label budget, because that's what I can do right now, you know
0: What advice would you give Anyone aspiring to set out and do what you did—I mean, you got to leave your ego on the floor.
1: That's for sure. That's the biggest thing. You got to leave your—you e- got to check your ego at the door. For you know, I, I think like uh, you know, as far as what I had to do, like I had to literally like go homeless for a while and like live in the studio and shower at the fucking LA Fitness and and
2: wow. you know all that
1: type of shit, like. I mean, there was like a good six months where I was only living off of like $400 a month or something like that. So it takes like a very specific type of individual to be able to do that. The biggest thing is like, if you want to do something, you have a goal in mind, like it could be, I don't know, anything. You want to build stoves. You want to be a stove builder. (laughs) (laughs) You want to build ovens. Like, um you just got to do that shit first. Like you can't expect somebody to pay you for something that they don't even, you know, they're not competent in your skills, but for, for anything that you really, really want to do, expect that you're going to have to do it for free for a while. Yeah. Don't think like the, the experience is everything. I mean, like the, the first, I don't even know how many hit records I worked on, like racks on racks I did for free. I'm almost certain of. If I didn't get paid for it, I only got paid like 5 or $10.
0: Oh.
1: I mean, there were, you know, I was, I was an intern.
0: You know oh, what I'm like, okay. Got you, got you. That makes sense. I, that makes sense. I, I was,
1: yeah, I was an intern, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I said, and I was literally sleeping at the studio. I'm talking about, like, I would wake up in the morning. I would wake up in the morning at, like, 11 a.m., In the studio, I'm sleeping on, like, a futon. Yeah. And, like, I'd have to, like, hide my suitcase in, like, a closet or whatever. And then um, let the first people in, maybe go back to sleep for a little bit. Then I go to the gym, do a little workout, take a shower, come back. And the majority of the day, I'm I'm basically the bitch, you know. I'm cleaning the bathrooms and running Mm -hmm. for food and letting people in the front door more or less... Yeah. Being the bouncer of the studio because they need those and those type of studios. And um, then, you know, maybe, like, if somebody doesn't show up, like, for, say, for example, when Young Dro came in to do his verse on T.I.'s album, his engineer didn't show up, and they're like, oh, Steve, you think you can do it? Okay. I'm like, no, I don't, but I'll try. Yeah. And they're like, well, that's the best we got right now so go for it you know what I'm saying and um, you know that's how that happened it was strictly because I was in the right place at the right, right time, time because I completely devoted myself to I mean there was
2: there
1: there was no way for me to know that that was going to happen the only thing I could do was just be there all the fucking time
2: Yeah. and
1: you know after doing something like that like being able to perform under pressure, then the manager of the stoner owner of the studio is like, Well, goddamn, Steve did this shit and he don't even know what the fuck he's doing. He went in there and did it better than
2: anybody else
1: that's been here for
2: five years. You
1: know what I'm saying? So like, okay. And they start paying attention, like, okay. Alright. Yeah, I mean, I was like up all night, maybe like I mean if it wasn't for Young Jeezy, I might not have survived because I swear this guy would come in and order so much food. <laughs> like, I was literally, like, eating Young Jeezy's leftovers for, like, a good three months. Oh, like, wow. in the morning, I would eat his leftovers. And, and, yeah, I don't know if I would have survived without Young Jeezy's leftovers and the extra money that he would leave on the table. Like, and he yeah. would tip me for going to the food sometimes, shit like that. Like, yeah, I think I, got, I think I got a little bit off track. Was that
0: answering the question? <laughs> yeah, that, that, hey, man, but that, that's a part of the journey you, you went through, man. That's your truth. Um, yeah, so you're not willing to go that to that extent. For
1: sure. Um, you might still be able to make it, maybe. But if you go to that extent, you will make it. There's no doubt about that. If you go to that extent, you are going to
0: make it. Well, man. Um, Steve, I I pr- really appreciate this. Um you coming on, sharing your journey, sharing the heights you you the levels you've reached. Um I think in through this conversation the appreciation of just, you know, you had you grinded, bro. Like you grinded. Mm-hmm. And for others to to listen to this and and, and just you know, witness this in a sense. Um, I'm truly thankful for you coming on here and, and sharing that you're welcome. we got to make it happen. The next time you come in into town, you know, we're doing uh-huh. the zoom right now, but I kind of want to get together and actually, you know, do a in-person live, you No know, problem. I still, I there's so much more that I could pick at the brain, but, um, I definitely I I appreciate you uh, coming on here. Uh, you're just an exam, You're an example of what makes you know Milwaukee great. I mean, um, the way you've put on for this city, um, and just the levels you've reached. It's inspiring. I, I've been in, I've been inspired. With that being said, this is Steve High Bicky. And I I am I'm very blessed to have him on. So again, Steve, man, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right, man. I'll right, see you. Okay. All right.